Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Arrow, Coastal Leadership Academy's weekly podcast. I am Todd Scholl, and welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, today, we have a very special guest who just joined the CLA family, Mia Angelo. Mia, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Todd? I'm doing well. So my understanding is that you have joined the CLA team as our activist in residence. And I'm wondering how many other high schools in the state, or maybe even the country, have an activist in residence. What do you think? Um, I don't think any. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Greenberg, he compared it to having like an artist in residence. And I think that's a lot more common. Um, I think CLA might be the first. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, trying to put our money where our mouth is. How do you how do you feel like looking at that position, knowing that you are kind of uh, trailblazing here, like with that, and possibly creating opportunities for other people to 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 open up those types of positions. What is it you see as your role here um, at CLA as activist in residence? My role is, number one, to lead by example. Um, I think that's very important. And to continue to be the activist that I have been. But yeah. now I get to, to show students how to do that. Um, I don't think very many schools teach them how to be activists in whatever they want they're passionate about. Like yeah. I, whether it's food insecurity, racial injustices, homelessness, whatever their cause is, I see my role um, being helping them be activists in that. Yeah, yeah. So I've had a lot of conversations online with educator friends uh, particularly after the George Floyd actually started with the um, Ahmaud Arbery mm. um, situation, but then the F George Floyd um, situation obviously really blew things up. And um, <clears throat> it's it's one of those things where an event like that happens, and then there's a lot of conversation, and and then systemically not there's not a lot of change, and then people the conversation dies down and then it ha something like that happens again and we're right back to square one and so i've been thinking with my educator friends what what can schools be doing to end these systems of oppression these these this injustice uh, what what role do we have to play and sometimes what you hear is well we've got to remain neutral and howard zinn once said that um, you can't be neutral on a moving train and and the uh, Paulo Freire, who's also a huge um, huge fan of his, said, you know, you can't really be. There's no such thing as neutrality. You're either perpetuating systems of oppression, or you're you're giving students the tools to overcome those systems of oppression. So talk about how we can do that, like approach the situation without without overstepping boundaries, but also doing it effectively so that we're not just remaining neutral and ineffective. No, that's a great question. Um, I'll, I'll start by addressing what you said about being neutral. And you're right, you can't, you can't be neutral when it comes to injustices. When it comes to human lives being treated like less than that, you can't be neutral. Um, one of the chants that I like when I'm protesting is silence is violence. And it is. Um, <clears throat> and in this society today, it's so easy to get caught up in, say, trends. And that's what I, I did not want to see, especially with Ahmaud Arbery, with um, George Floyd, was for Black Lives Matter to just be a trend. Right. Um, and, you know, it was. You know, people will 
fight here and there for a couple of weeks and then it dies down. So I think the school's role is to keep the conversation going, yeah. you know, to talk to kids, to ask them um, if they're aware of certain situations. Um, you know, the school, I believe, is really responsible for stuff like that. Yeah, um, I'm yeah no, the school, I think that it's, it's not really telling students what to think, but it is telling them... To, maybe what they need to be thinking about. Mm. You know, it's not necessarily saying, here's what your opinion should be on this particular issue, but this is an issue we've, we've got to have on our radar, we've got to discuss, um, because it affects everybody. And, um, and then the other thing is that we've got, to be, um, we've got to be willing to be vulnerable enough to have hard uh, discussions. Mm. These are not easy discussions to have. And you go on Facebook or really any social media and see the types of discussions and immediately um, people kind of camp out on one side or another and without, without really listening to what the other side is saying. And, um, and it's, um, it's unfortunate because we don't really get the constructive dialogue. Just, it doesn't seem to happen on, on social media. And so if schools can model, how do we have a constructive dialogue? How do we truly listen to each other? And then how do I, how do I challenge people's paradigms without, um, um, and, and with, with respect and help people grow and see things differently, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's an issue with not just, um, as far as racial injustices go with not listening to the other person's side. That's, I was just talking about this. That's a problem with everything. You know, we have to sit down and, have the hard conversations we have to choose empathy and try to put yourself in the other person's shoes um one of my favorite quotes is i understand that i will never understand but i stand with you so you know for people to just sit and listen i think that's that's a very important part and as far as the students go to have those conversations with them um hey do you know what what's going on right now what's your thoughts on that do you have an opinion on that were you even aware you know because i've had um, my youth group some of them aren't even aware of some of the stuff that that goes on so i think as far as the student goes just asking them if they're even aware and then going from there and keeping the conversation going. Yeah. I love that you're thinking about activism broadly Mm -hmm. because, you know, each student has, is going to have different passions. Like Mm -hmm. some may be, uh, you know, interested in the environment. Some are uh, in gender issues. Um, uh, Some might be activists uh, when it comes to music or, or, you know, there's so many different ways to be an activist, so many different ways to express yourself. Um, and what I love about, about having an activist in residence is you can model what you're not necessarily saying, here's what you need to be an activist about is just if whatever you're passionate about, whatever you want to try to fix in the world, that's, that's up to you. Here's how you can go about it effectively. Um, just screaming on, screaming on social media, shouting out insults to people, um, having a closed mind. That's, that's not going to be effective no matter what you want to advocate, advocate for, or be an activist for. Um, so, uh, how do you? What are some ways that we can help? Like, what are some ways that you have found are effective in terms of your activism? What are some some tools and resources right. that, um, that you've used? So, definitely, um, my protest, like organizing protests, I think are very effective. Um, I were 
me and some others organized a protest in Market Common a couple months ago, and we had a huge turnout. And uh, the goal was to educate, to understand, and to bring awareness. And I say that to say one of the... Um, one of the people came up to me afterwards, and he was maybe in his 60s. He said, I know racism has existed, but right. they never talked to us about it in school. Yeah. After leaving here today, I think I understand a little bit more, and right. I have a lot more compassion. And that's yeah. what it's about. Um, yeah, that's definitely just what it's about. Yeah. It, so a lot of what I've noticed a lot, a, a lot of times is um, people come in with sort of these pre-made notions about an issue and it does take a lot to kind of break through that but i what i've also seen is people just kind of throw up their hands and want to give up and say well this is this is a waste of time these people aren't willing to listen i think it, sometimes it takes people hearing things over and over again multiple from multiple perspectives and multiple times for them for things to finally click and when i think back like i'm 49 when i think back about my attitudes about things from when I was 18 to now, you know, it took thir thir you know, that's uh, 31 years of change. I'm a different person and I've thought about things differently and it didn't happen. It, it wouldn't have happened without people like you kind of speaking up, speaking out me being exposed to books and uh, music and different uh, experiences that a lot that challenged me and made me grow and think as a person and evolve. And I know that, you know, it's, it's so easy to get discouraged, but I think we have to hold out hope that that change can happen and it may not be happen as fast as we want it to. But if we keep, if, if we get discouraged and cynical, it's definitely not going to happen. Oh yeah. I 100% agree. Consistency is key in every, not in everything you do, but especially as far as activism goes, because like we said in the beginning, it's so easy for things to turn into a trend. And it's easier for people to live in their own bubble and right. not to, to worry about anything else outside of their bubble. Yeah. Um, so consistency and always talking about a situation, keeping the conversation going, continuing to do protests, continuing to, to, to spread facts. Right. And I think going to facts is huge, too, because they don't teach us. a lot. They, they lie to us in school as far as history goes. So having people and encouraging people to do their own research is yeah. also so important, right. you know, to, to help guide people to critically think about what's going on. Yeah. You know, so I was talking to somebody else about this issue on a different podcast about how it wasn't until I saw the series Watchmen that I knew about the Tulsa massacre, which is something that if you've studied us history, you should, should have been a part at some point, you should have been aware of that. And that's just one of many of those types of situations that took place. Um, but not, I had no idea that that happened in Tulsa. And I think what happens is people go through a typical K 12 education and they just hear about the signing of the declaration of independence and they hear about the civil war in kind of these abstract terms and they don't, they don't really get immersed in a lot of in the story from the viewpoint of of those who might have been marginalized or oppressed. Mm -hmm. They're not really hearing the story from that point. Mm -hmm. And so and so then they get to be, you know, my age and it's been sort of cemented in this sort of mindset. And then when you come in and challenge that mindset and say, well, you, you know, did you, did you not realize all these things that have happened throughout history? Do you not realize what these people have been through? Right. And then there's like this pushback, like, well, you just want to you know, 
talk badly about America or you just want to criti- criticize America and you're like, no, what we're trying to do is, is, is confront America as it is. Confront the reality of our history. Confront the reality of what all people, all different types of people have been through so that we can understand where we are now, where we've been, where we are now, and where we're headed forward. Because without that context, we're, you're ignoring the plight and the and the, the issues, the very real issues that many people are still still facing. Right. And that's that's the part that's so frustrating is once you have been kind of awakened to that historical framework and you and you start to understand like you said that empathy you start mm-hmm. to see things through another person's lens um then you want to you you you're you become this like real strong advocate for that mm-hmm. kind of change and um and it's just frustrating when that change doesn't happen and it's slowed down by people who I almost want to remain blind to it because it's it's more comfortable to remain in that mm. in that that sort of world where everything's fine for right. me. So I guess it's okay for everybody else. Yeah, and that that like I said, that's the biggest issue is people are so comfortable and they can live in they can because society has also conditioned us to be more individualistic than Mm, collectively so you know you have your family you go eat you come home you work and that's it um and you don't have to worry about everybody else so i think you know people continuing to talk and try to get people um to to look from different perspectives you know i'll share with you i had a meeting um with this man and he wanted to know how he could help you know he how he could help with the Black Lives Matter movement. And in our conversation, you know, older, conservative, but he still wanted to help. He understood Mm -hmm. that there was a problem, but he also was still kind of stuck in the, well, I think all lives matter type deal. And this is where the hard conversations come in. And it has to be mature on both sides. Mm. Because I will say there are people who are like, Black lives matter. And then someone says all lives matter. And then it's a feud instead of, you know, when he said that I said, well, can I explain to you why that that's not, that's impossible. And he said, yeah, explain it to me. And so, you know, I said, all lives can't matter because black is included in that all. And right now we're being treated like we don't matter. And I continued to further explain that. And he said, you know what, that makes sense. And I think, um, just that the light bulb kind of went off in his Mm. head and that's what it's all about um because when you turn the light bulb off in his head then he can turn it on in somebody else's head and then collectively our consciousness can change on the matter yeah yeah so what i've seen happen is with with that with black lives matter what what'll happen is that the narrative around those three words are sometimes driven by whether it's a news, particular news station or particular politicians who want to take it and then c- make it what they want it to mean, and so what they'll 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 take those words and say, essentially imply that you're saying only Black Lives Matter or that Black Lives Matter more than so and so's, you know, and 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 totally taking it and same thing with Colin Kaepernick's um, protest, mm-hmm. taking it and making it about patriotism and making it about like the military. And reframing it in a way that serves their interests rather than confronting the reality of what's intended by the message. Mm-hmm. And that's what needs to be happen is we need to, it, we need to first of all clarify what the message is. 
And so mm-hmm. people need, and then let's confront and talk about that. But we can't even have the conversation if you're thinking that by Black Lives Matter, I mean something that I'm not even implying by that, by those words. If I can't even talk to you about Colin Kaepernick, if we're starting from a place where you're saying, well, I'm, I love the military and I respect the military and what he's doing is anti-military. Well, I can't, that's not, that's not, that's not what he's saying. So I can't even argue against that because that's not what it's about. And so I think that's kind of, we can, we can have diffs, disagreements and these subjective views on on how do we solve the problems, but we've got to get on the same page with what we're talking about. What are the terms? What are the, what does everything mean? Right. And, and and figure that out, and then we can have more productive, constructive dialogue. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, and that was part of my conversation with him was. Oftentimes, I think people, they hear a silent only when we say right. Black Lives Matter, when really there's a silent too right. at the end of it. Right. Black Lives Matter too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of people don't understand. Um, and it, you know, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it comes from more so non-black people who, who don't understand the narrative of what we're talking about when we say that. Yeah. Um, so again, that's where the conversations come in as much as you possibly can um to try to get them to understand but like you said it's hard when they think i'm talking about this but that's not what i'm talking about right um and when when you run into situations like that personally i feel like you have to wish them well and hope that they can educate themselves on the matter and hopefully the light bulb will go off for them themselves yeah yeah it's 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 a tough thing to break through because a lot of times um, people are visiting particular websites or particular news sites or having conversations within, uh, like you said, I mentioned the, a bubble. So like an echo chamber or a bubble, they're, they're having these conversations and they're having their misinterpretation re- reaffirmed. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's what it means to me too. And so it's, then it re- becomes really, really hard to break through that. Right. But it is, it's like, it really is like an awakening that people have to have. And it's not, not so that they have to uh, agree with, like when I talk to people about this, it's not that I want you to agree with me 100%. It's just, I just want us to be able to have a conversation, an honest conversation confronting reality, not your interpretation of what things are, but what really is happening. And, um, and then we can, we can hash it out. So, um, it's, but it's, it's really, really hard sometimes because breaking through that is, um, breaking through that bubble sometimes is really difficult. And yeah, the confirmation bias of, you know, finding, having your opinion, reading something that confirms your opinion Mm -hmm. and then going with it instead of, okay, this is my opinion. Let me read something that goes against my opinion. And maybe what I read can shift my perspective. Mm. Um, and that's the, we need people to shift their perspective. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, and social media, I think has made it a, a, a more challenging problem because there's always been political and, and different types of division in, 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 America. But the problem that is I'm seeing on social media is first of all, you got a lot of, of fake news. And I know some people use that term fake news and it's not really fake news but this but there really is you know just fake phony unchecked un you know poorly cited stuff i mean i see stuff there i see stuff all the time on facebook that's clearly photoshopped or that's just lies outright lies 
Um, and then you ask people, well, tell me what, what your source was from that. And then they, they realized they made a mistake. And even I've done that from time to time, shared something and realized, oh my gosh, that was, I didn't even check that. Right. Um, so, so, and then the other thing people do with social media is, so they're getting their news from there and then they're unliking or unfollowing people that, that, um, challenge might challenge them or that they don't agree with. And then you're then you're left with just friends and news sources and things that are, are just cementing that, mm. uh, that, that perspective. And, um, and so I, I think that's where schools have got to come in is, again, not telling students what to think, but telling them when you're going through social media, um, are you just accepting everything because it's just in there, you know, printed on a page or it's just a photo? I mean, how do you determine what's credible and what's not credible? How do you, are you thinking critically about what might be BS and what might, what's real? Right. And that's, um, that's going to be, that's going to be huge for students moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it's crucial that schools take the responsibility of teaching kids how to think critically. Right. You know, I feel like the critical thinking in education doesn't really happen as deeply as it needs to until you get to college, because then right. you're paying for it. Right. I think, um, lower the education before college really needs to take seriously on how to think okay where'd you get that from what did who who wrote it when was it written why did you choose that um what was your thoughts on that originally or before critical thinking and how to think is definitely i feel like the school's responsibility mm -hmm. um because then they can go out in the real world they can hear about something and think well, I wonder why that happened. Right. You know, um, what is, if it's something that can be done about, can I do something? Should I do something? How should I go about doing that? And that's what I see my role as the activist in residence here is going to, um, up to a student. Okay, you're, you heard about the pollution here in Myrtle Beach, at the beach, you know, let's right. just say that. Um, well, how do you feel about that? Right. Okay, you don't like that. Okay, well, you don't like it. What are you going to do about it? And um, that would be my role is assisting them in in being activists in, yeah. in that. I think that's one of the things that I noticed that we're trying to move to here is so many students feel passive about everything. And, and I think we're training young people to be passive about everything, about their learning. Like, tell me what's on the test. Tell me what I need to know instead of being active participants in their own learning. And then we do the same thing when it comes to the democracy at large. It's like, just tell me who I need to vote for. Tell me what I need, you know, and instead of saying, well, what can you as a citizen go out and do to make change? Instead of being passive and just hoping that, that our leaders make change, what, what are you going to do about it? So right. that, I think that's, that, that's brilliant. And again, I can hear a few people maybe listening to this saying, you know, I've, I've heard this criticism that teachers are trying to indoctrinate students and this isn't about indoctrination. It's about getting them to think critically, getting them to get out of that passive mindset and, and getting to them to, to be thinking deeply about the world around them and how they can make it better. And then giving them tools and resource to help, resources to help them do that, whether it's helping them think through problems, problem solve, communicate, utilize social media, utilize the, these communication tools. Um, yeah. How do they how do they make change um, rather than just waiting on it change to happen? Absolutely. And I think why it's so difficult to get kids out of that passive um, 
way of being is because since from kindergarten to however long we're conditioned schools condition you a certain way to be Mm -hmm. a certain way with the standardized testing with the certain times of the day everything just conditions you to think a certain way because um my my belief in that is society doesn't want people to critically think because when you do that and you develop your own opinion about something and you you find truths right and truths aren't always pretty Mm-hmm. You know, that's why there's a lot of gaps in our, our history books because yeah. they're not, it's not pretty. Um, and um, America specifically right now anyway, wants to be looked at as a good guy. So I think um, that's why it's so difficult to get kids out of that passive thinking because they're conditioned to be passive. So right. that's my goal is to tell, to help people unlearn yeah. what we've been um, taught and conditioned and to relearn. That's, that's brilliant. Let's shift gears for a minute. Cause I, I should have done this at the, the beginning, but, um, I just was so ready to jump into the, the deep, the deep end of the pool. Um, <laughs> let's, um, for those listening, let's, um, tell them who Mia Angelo is like, are, like where, where'd you go to school? Where are you from? What was your degree in? Kind of tell them a little bit about your background. Okay, yeah. Um, so, my name is Mia Angelo. I grew up here in uh, Myrtle Beach. I uh, went to Soxy and AST, played basketball all four years. At AST, I was a pre-med major. I loved it. It was so fun, but I decided I did not want to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I ended up going to, I actually got a basketball scholarship at Catawba College, decided okay. to come back home um, and continue my psychology degree here at Coastal. So that's what I just graduated. Now officially have a psychology degree. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, looking back, I, I think activism has always been a part of my life. Um, I think there's several different forms of activism, mm. um, including, you know, volunteerism and stuff like that. So volunteerism has always been a part of my life. I've always tried to, my parents throw me into something that I can help <laughs> other people. Um, yeah. And so I think that, kind of has helped my compassion and so when I started to learn about those truths um and be shocked at them and hurt and um that's when my righteous anger I guess (laughs) you could call it kind of just lit a fire in me and Mm. as the more I find out the more I'm like I I have to do something does the do you know about this do you know about this you'd be shocked at how many people have absolutely no idea about how deep racism really goes you know from the blatant redlining to Mm -hmm. um obvious you know george floyd's case right things like that people don't know how deep it really goes um so that's what has kind of driven me is Mm. you know educating people number one is my thing because when i was educated on stuff that's when i again like i said my Mm. righteous anger came out so um that's my goal is to educate people as well as do the footwork you know um and yeah so i was playing basketball came home got into the activism i uh i ran for ahmaud aubrey i um i did a lot and then i went to the myrtle beach protest that's that's when may 31st i remember the day because um it was very intense day. Mm. Uh, we had a protest. <clears throat> I didn't host it. It was somebody else's that I um, showed up at, and 
actually, when I showed up, it had ended, and I was like, we still have all day, so I encouraged everybody to continue it, and we ended up going until they instilled a curfew um, because of it. That. But yeah, so I ended up actually taking on a leadership role unexpectedly with that protest. Um, And when we were in front of the police station, that's when the riot gear came out. And there was one man standing up there in between the riot gear and the protesters. And I just had this overwhelming feeling that I had to go up there. I I couldn't. And, you know, my mom was there. She said, Mm. Mia, you better not go up there. You better not go up there, you know, because you've seen the videos. You've seen, Mm -hmm. you know, how dangerous it can be. But I went up there. I told him I can't let you be up here alone. And it was a it was a crazy experience. I almost had tears in my eyes kind of thinking about it just because um, we the two of us, I feel like if we hadn't been there it would have turned ugly. It, it definitely, we played peacekeeper. Um, and I'm grateful that the, when they arrested, I think they arrested six protesters and we were able to negotiate them out that day with only um, a ticket charge. I don't even remember what it was, but that kind of, I felt that's what I need to be doing. Right. So that's what that's what drove me. And then five days later, after that protest, we threw the one in Market Common. We had over 500 people come out. Um, we had speakers. We had um, a congresswoman come out. We had some NAACP members come out. And it was really beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. And our organization is called The Peaceful Protest because we wanted to keep the peace. Right. And that's exactly what we did because... Um, <clears throat> We believe, again, education, uh, the gathering, getting everybody to understand, and that's what our goal was. And so now yeah. I'm here, and I met um, the principal of the school to, to talk about how we could possibly diversify the school board, the mm-hmm. students, the staff, and um, he offered me the position. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you're here. Um, the, you know, the... Um thinking about your your psychology degree and the importance to the sort of intersection between that righteous anger and being a fierce advocate but also holding on to this this the inner peace while you're doing because it's so easy to get wrapped up in the storm of it all and um and get so i think that the stress involved with being an activist there's a lot of stress involved with it there's a lot of self-doubt i'm sure self-doubt and 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 just like just feeling tired and like worn out as a human being just as as in the mental aspect of it and um one of the things that i drew me here was when i talked to mr greenberg about the potential for us to really embed into the day and into the school culture this the addressing the social emotional needs of Mm -hmm. our teachers and our students and i think weaving that together with this this concept of of activism but also recognizing that activists are human beings with inner needs and making sure that because i I think one of the things like to develop empathy develop develop the capacity to see things through through other people's eyes is 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 like a psychological process it requires Mm -hmm. you to do a deep dive into yourself like, and what are some of the assumptions that you've always made? What are your own biases? And being honest and confronting yourself and having that mm-hmm. self-awareness so that then you, and, and also, can you love yourself enough and have enough compassion that you then have the reservoir to love other people enough to care about mm-hmm. what they're, 
what they're going through. Absolutely. If you don't love yourself and you don't care about yourself, it's hard to have that love and respect and compassion for what other people are going through. Absolutely. And I think that's a huge part of the problem that we're missing is we're so stuck on trying to hammer a message home. And what some of these people need to do is, is deep inner work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll, I'll touch on the very beginning of what you said. Yes. Um, it, it hits you being an activist and it, it gets emotional yeah. Um, I know after the market common protest, I didn't know what I felt because it was, you know, we did a moment of silence for George Floyd and that was for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And that was very emotional. Um, and you add, uh, being emotional with anger and just confusion and hurt. I had to, I did have to take a, a week off for yeah. a second, you know, no social media, just by myself to, to get my mental kind of back in check. And I, I realized that I slowly was just kind of being bitter because yeah. it's like all of this stuff is just, it keeps happening yeah. and it makes you like, it, it does. It makes you a little like uptight kind of mm -hmm. in a sense where you're tense. That's the better word yeah. where you're kind of tense. So yeah. Um, having to realize when you need a break. And you use the word mm -hmm. self-awareness. Self-awareness is key. Um, and you're right. Not a lot of people have that. Um, and I'm a huge advocate for doing internal work. And I'm so, you know, I'm so glad you said that because I think we're definitely going to work great together. Internal work is so important because, yeah, how yeah. can you care about somebody else yeah. when you don't care about yourself? Um, <clears throat> and compassion and empathy is... I feel like a huge answer to a lot of our problems. Absolutely. Yeah. It's an inside out process. Um, you know, you can't, you can't help other people swim if you're drowning. So mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah. Um, well, Mia, I've, I've loved this conversation and I'm, I'm looking forward to working with you and, and I, I welcome to the CLA family. Of Thank course you. I'm new too, so I'm welcoming <laughs> myself, but, um, welcome. It, <laughs> but it's really cool. Um, I, I think, um, my hope is that, more, more and more schools, maybe we can serve as a model uh, with this activist in residence position and we can serve as a model for how to do this because we got to stop paying. I've always said that we got to stop paying lip service to problems mm -hmm. and just throwing up a poster or having a month and assuming that that's enough. It's, mm -hmm. it's got to be ingrained and embedded into what we're doing in schools. If we're going to overcome systems of oppression, truly going to overcome them. Schools have got to play an integral role and we've got to do more than just, you know, um, like I said, a month or a poster or a, a guest speaker. It's got to be ingrained into what we're doing. It's got to be more than a appeasing and putting a Band-Aid on something. Right. You know, it, it goes so much deeper. Yeah. yeah. All right, everybody. That was Mia Angelo. And thank you so much for your time today. And I'm, I know we're all excited that you're here. And for Excited those of you to be here, yeah. Uh, and for those of you listening, uh, you can find out more about our school at coastalleadershipacademy.org, and you can find us on Facebook at Coastal Leadership. Acad I think it's Coastal Leadership, and then on uh, Instagram at Coastal underscore Leadership underscore Academy, and on uh, Twitter at CLA Archers. So, check us out, connect with us, and we'll see you next time on the Arrow. <laughs>